Yes, hello folks, welcome to the weekly Matches Net podcast. I'm your host as always, Phil Brown. I hope you're all doing well. It's Wednesday afternoon here in Los Angeles, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, 9 o'clock UK time. So um, lots of things happening right now with United. Uh, lots of fluid situations happening with signings coming in and signings going out. Um, so probably by the time you listen to this, it will be out of date. Um, but uh, nonetheless, I'll give it a blast. I had a couple of goals of recording at this Recording this podcast this week, tried to record it on Monday, tried to record it on Tuesday. It was unsuccessful for various different reasons. On Monday, um, my kids are still off school and I have more kids than Bernardo's for fuck's sake. So this place was absolutely mental. Um, nuts, noise everywhere. So I didn't want to subject it to that. I'm working with some, some standard equi- substandard equipment, I should say. Um, my 16-year-old browses the internet on this computer. I'll let you expand your own imagination on the types of things he's looking at, research, stuff like that, I'm sure. <laughs> and so, unfortunately, this computer crashes more times than aliens in Arkansas, so uh, it uh, was a playing ball yesterday, but probably a good thing because um, that podcast already would have been out of date, as I said. Um, lots of things to talk about. We'll talk about, obviously, what's going on with the with Harry Maguire, looking like he's on his way out. Uh, Scott McCominay, uh, other signings out by you could be on his way. It looks like looks like that's going to happen. Uh, Fred looks like that's going to happen. Less certain McCominay, uh, and of course some potential signings to come in. Uh, Pavard, which was a bit of a surprise, didn't see that coming uh, this morning. Uh, Dedevo was on that list, and a couple of others, Tapsuba, and a few others. Uh, it's been really difficult to get updates on this because it's been happening so fast. Um, but I'll give you my thoughts on that anyway. Um, and of course the changing face of Manchester United, which um, this Manchester United that we're seeing today is the Manchester United that fans have been crying out for, for a decade. Uh, a ruthless efficiency in how they go about bringing players in that look like they're players that have been scouted properly and a result of a proper evaluation process rather than an agent ringing and it being convenient to sign them without any thought about how they want to fit into systems and what have you and being foisted onto managers. It seems like there's actually a coherent strategy in how they single players out, which is very, very encouraging. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, I don't want to go back too much on the games at the weekend because they're sort of out of sight now, but um, one or two things I'll pick up on. One of the things I want to comment on was the uh, outrage from some United fans in Dublin over the ticket prices and, of course, the team that United picked. I'll give my thoughts on that. Um, and of course, the uh, clickbait engagement media. I've said my piece on this on Twitter. Those who follow me will know what I mean. Um, and we should expect a lot more of this. This is uh, what we will see more and more and more. Uh, we even see established media outlets now with pundits that have nothing more to offer, no depth, you know, no analysis, completely vacuous, um, loquacious. Uh, pundits that make a living out of trolling Manchester United. That's it. You know, that's really boring and predictable and one demands no. And it's difficult not to engage sometimes. I get it. But I would encourage you not to do that because it just manipulates the algorithm and you get exposed to more of it and uh, they get exactly what they're looking for and they monetize your outrage. Um, just ignore it. It's. Um, you know, it's analytical fast food or whatever you want to call it. It uh, really has no substance. It's not intended to inform you about anything. It's just intended to enrage you. 
uh, and it succeeds sometimes, I will be honest. Um, I think where it disappoints me is when I see so-called legacy media engaging in this, because there's really good football journalists out there that are sitting at home unemployed, who have lost their jobs to clickbait merchants, to influencers, who bring nothing to the table. Um, and uh, turns the football into the bantification. I mean, I don't even like this on pundits. You know, everyone has their own taste. But the cackling, laughing constantly of Micah Richards actually starts to get on my nerves after a while. Because I'm, I'm okay with a bit of humour here and there. But Increasingly, I'm tuning it out because I have no idea what they just said because they spent 15 minutes laughing at each other and half of them are inside jokes and half of them are funny. And it's like, okay. Um, and when they do analysis, they actually do it well. Terry and Lee's extremely capable. The absolutely impervious kid, Abdo. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but... Um, yeah, some some of the bondification of football punditry, and unfortunately that's where we live in today, um, does get on my tits after a while, I have to be honest. Um, quick uh, summary of the games at the weekend, like I said, Lawrence, bye-bye. Uh, look, people say results don't matter in pre-season. I wouldn't say they don't matter. I would say they matter more the deeper you get into pre-season. I would say they're not the only important thing. There are other things that are more important, but they definitely matter. Uh, it's still the best barometer you have of where you're at before you start a season. So, you know, United have had a couple of disappointing results in the US against Real Madrid, against Borussia Dortmund, and I don't think they wanted to lose that launch game and go into the game against Wolves at the start of the season um, off the back of a few defeats in preseason. Um, it didn't surprise me that Ten Hag picked that team against Launce. Um, I think it might have been influenced by what happened against Dortmund, to be honest. Uh, had United have won against Dortmund, um, you might have seen a bit of a different mix. But maybe not. Maybe Ten Hag is saying, look, with one week away from the start of the, pre start of the season, one of these games has to be comprised of the team that I expect will start against Wolves or they're, they're about to give or take one or two players. And I think what we saw against Launce is that we'll see the team that more or less starts against Wolves. Um, the team that was made up of, um, uh, the team that was that, that played by I think was made up of players that will be moved on or players that Ten Hag is still um, unsure about and playing for their place. Um, the game against Lanthrop was a good comeback. You know, Anana got chipped from the halfway line there's to me there's two people at fault here's Diojo Dallo and of course Anana himself. When you were watching Anana in the friendlies, not just Anana to be fair, but Tom Heaton, the goalkeepers were playing very, very high. And inevitably when people are evaluating new signings, they're gonna focus solely on the negative and not the positive that they contribute. So there'll be no positive um coverage of Onana playing high that starts attacks, that stops things happening that the head didn't and as everyone has been saying, it's entirely predictable that he will be negatively compared to David De Gea um, every time he makes a mistake. Uh, so wasn't concerned about it, and uh, I still think he is an exceptional signing for United. And I think over the course of the season, uh, he will be an improvement on what we have had in goal, simply because 
one, I think he's a very, very good shot stopper, but two, he adds something to United's game that they didn't currently have that will help them play it from the back, that will help them play in transitions. You saw in Laurie Whitwell's fantastic piece on the Athletic, um, I think it was Laurie's or Carl Angus, um, <clears throat> about, I think it was Laurie's, about uh, Ten Hag wanting to be the best transition team in the world. Um, you can't do that when you've got goalkeeper, a goalkeeper knocking the ball up to the halfway lane, knocking the ball long, going out for throw-ins, poor with his feet. It becomes really easy to defend against that um, because when you're slow playing out from the back, teams get set, they pressionated high. You see this in a lot of games. They pressionated really high. I saw quite a bit last season. And they started pressing De Gea, forcing mistakes. And they were starting to single him out. So um, that will completely change how you need to play. Um, and with the goalkeeper, I said this before, but it's one position where you know you can integrate a defender the last week of the window, you can integrate a midfielder the last week of the window and a striker, but not a goalkeeper. So it was really important for me that United got that sign and done after Mason Mount. And to be fair, they did quite well in getting Mount, Hoyland and, uh, and Onana in, in essentially a few weeks within July. Um, and of course, as we've seen, there'll be more to come. Um, so uh, quite encouraged with what I saw from the response to going behind against Lance and uh, some very encouraging performances. Uh, of course, the game against Bilbao and Ireland, I understand the fans in Ireland being upset. I totally understand. Look, it was it cost more to go to that game than it did to go to a league game at Old Trafford. I was listening to I think it was the United We Stand podcast of someone saying that they took three or four of their kids and it cost six, seven hundred euro, which is just outrageous. And look, it's not new that United play back to back games in pre season. They've done this in previous years. Well what they've done in previous years is they've called it a United eleven or something like that of that nature that gives a consumer an indication that that's not going to be the first team. It avoids criticism and if you buy a ticket on that premise, which I imagine a lot of people would have done anyway, you can't complain. It was the same against Wrexham. I think there should have been better communication from United. They've taken a lot of criticism over it that they didn't need to take that could have been avoided. And, um, you know, I took my kids to the Wrexham game. My oldest has already been to Old Trafford. My youngest, this is his first United game and he was extremely disappointed that he wasn't seeing the players that he wanted to see and I was disappointed for him. I felt, you know, they were expensive tickets too and I went in two-footed on United when this first came out over the price of tickets. Um, some of it was down to relevant sports of course but United could have easily went to relevant and told them to reprice these tickets. Borussia Dortmund did that. Uh, the price for Borussia Dortmund tickets was certainly a lot less than what United's were. Um, and just because you can get that, I understand premium price and all that, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, you go back to 2004 when United played in the US, they had to fly out some of the best players a week um, the last week of the tour before they played AC Milan uh, after the Euros because of the criticism they were getting over not bringing out their strongest team. Um, so it's not a new issue and it's something United should have been able to see coming and predict um, and should have done better. And, and uh, definitely should have communicated better. So I completely understand the outrage. To be fair, when you buy a ticket, you're not guaranteed a certain starting 11. Anyone that's going to the League Cup game will know that um, or anything like that. But I can still understand the anger because that game was announced before 
the launch game. On the positive side, um, young Palestri scored. Uh, he has been very, very encouraging in pre-season. I think young Palestri and Mabry are an example of why pre-season is really important. They are two players that have used pre-season to change the manager's thoughts on them. Um, Palestri was someone, and this very well possible could still happen, that Ten Hag wanted to put out on loan. He, he done an interview after the Arsenal game in New York saying that Ten Hag encouraged him to do that, to go out on loan, um, which uh, I can understand both points of view. I can understand the value of Palestri getting regular football. I suppose it's encouraging that United aren't trying to sell him. He's a Uruguay international. I'm sure they could sell him if they wanted and get their money back. They still see a future for him. But obviously with a mad injury, maybe, you know, Palestri stays. Um, he's a very, very good young player. And, you know, it wouldn't take much to get ahead of Jadon Sancho. You know, Jadon Sancho, I think, is on that precipice between the manager being convinced by him and unconvinced by him. Would have he had two or three bad games? I think Sancho's had a really good preseason, to be fair. But I think he's in a bit of an identity crisis. Um, is he a, 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 a 10? You know, the players off the front, or is he a winger? Anyone that's listened to this podcast for a long period of time will know I've been saying from the start of last season that I felt his best position was central. Um, he doesn't seem to me to be quick enough out wide. Um, he's got a real, he's got lovely balance technique, um, you know, and, and I think he's a very good player. And I do think he would benefit immensely from having a central striker that can score goals. Um, when you're talking about it says it's a two-part story, you're talking about someone that converts also. And if Kevin De Bruyne had Vout Veghorst in front of him, we wouldn't be sitting talking about record assists. Do you know what I mean? And wingers or playmakers take confidence from assists because they're they're judged on them. So maybe it's not entirely fair to judge him until we have a proper number nine. We I know we have Rasmus Hoyland then. Uh, he's still very young. I'll get to him later on in the podcast. Um, but I think Rashford, with playing centrally, having Gonacho on the left, if Sancho plays him behind, um, I think we'll see him much better, Jaden Sancho. Um, but I think, given the current conditions at United, where there is no hiding place anymore for underperforming players, there is no contracts on the table anymore for underperforming players, where you get a massive pay raise that's not commensurate with your market value. This is a football club that has very different evaluation metrics today on whether you're worth keeping or worth or, or you should be moved on. So if you do happen to survive the call this summer, it should be made abundantly clear to anyone. You won't survive it next summer if you underperform this season. Ten Hag is ruthless in that. And for the first time in a decade, United have supported a manager doing this. Um and obviously, it looks like young Mabry's going to stay um, because you know, it looked like uh, obviously he's played quite well through preseason. Mentioned this against Wrexham that <clears throat> he was getting kicked from pillar to post, constantly showing for the ball. You can see that long again for Birmingham has developed him physically. The technique was always there, the maturity in his game, the experience. Um, he always wanted the ball. He was always showing for it. He was creative. He was dangerous. Um, and I would like to see him get that opportunity. Um, you know, he, he remember what he cost nine, ten million from Monaco. So um, you know, he's a young kid with enormous talent. If you spoke to people 
in the game about Mabry, you know, he was someone that loads of clubs wanted to get their hands on. So an exceptional young talent and he's earned, in my opinion, the right to be kept and make appearances off the bench, of which he'll get plenty. And I would like to see him staying. Um, so uh, I have no problems with United not signing another midfielder um, outside of Amrabat, of course, and giving that opportunity to Mabry. Uh, Kabi Manu, of course, got injured, <clears throat> which was extremely disappointing. Showing tremendous form and promise he got injured last season too, towards the end of last season, which um, prohibited his development a bit in some further first-team appearances. From what I'm told, it's not great, the injury. Um, I can't confirm that 100%, but I was talking to a couple of people, two people, and they said it's, it's worse than first feared, but that means I don't know. They didn't give me a time frame, um, but um, probably a couple of months. So, at disappointing, because uh, I really would have loved to have seen him in that Real Madrid game. Um, and uh, But nonetheless, he's a very bright young talent, and uh, I think United should leave enough room where when he recovers, he can get back into the first team. Um, obviously, like I was saying, you know, United are being quite active in the transfer market right now, um, with players being moved out. They've lined up contingent deals. If you remember the start of this window, you had a lot of speculation, and it was United have agreed personal terms with this game, personal terms with that game, they've done this, been speaking to this game, speaking to that guy. And you felt, well, that's great, but they need to agree deals with the, the clubs. And essentially what they've been doing is lining up contingencies in the event that they were able to sell and move certain players on so that they can execute on these deals quite quickly. So it looks like that groundwork is going to pay off. Um, you know, they've got good options in Pavard and Tadevo. And I think what's really good about that is that it stops Bayern or Nice gouging United. We have alternatives, something that's been consistent right throughout this window. For every player that they've gone for, there's always been an alternative. You know, Mason Mount, if we don't get the right deal, we'll move on. We have alternatives. Anana, if we don't get the right deal, we'll move on. We have alternatives. You know, same with um, Hoyland as well. Uh, so that's obviously very smart. One of the things that's really hard to escape, deny, is the stunning lack of competence that has existed at United for a decade, pre-Ten Hag, Richard Arnold, to be fair. And it, it really does bring it into sharp focus when you see how hard United are having to work to move certain players on. And one of the biggest obstacles to that is their wages. And it's not just the rank and competence that infested Manchester United. Bear in mind a couple of factors. These were the best paid executives in the league. For what? I don't know. The stunning lack of oversight from the owners to allow this financial vandalism. Where were they? When weren't they sitting down and going, wait a minute, why are we giving David De Gea 350 grand a week? No one else is going to give that to him. Why are we giving players new contracts that should have been moved on years ago? No one else is doing that. Now you can't get rid of them. Now you're having to pay them off. You know, maybe we should be giving contracts out on merit. But instead, we weren't doing that. We were handing players new contracts 
And, you know, you can sit there and, yes, of course, fans aren't as well as for, informed as the top coaches and, and, and the top men in the game. Accept that. But every single player you needed to get rid of this summer are moving on. Our players, the fans, have been screaming for them to move on for a long time. Players that most fans were able to make their mind up and say they're not good enough for Manchester United. So most of the moves they're making are obvious and should have been done a long time ago. How is it that the people inside the football club didn't notice this? I mean, what was the model here? Let's find a way to have the biggest wage bill in world football that's not commensurate with the talent that we have on the books. Because that's what they somehow managed to do. I mean, the agents of these players must have been sitting there going, I, I, I'm astonished. Any one of us could have done a better job. Ten Hag's done an exceptional job trying to clean this up, as have some of the people inside the football club who are doing their best to clean this up who aren't responsible for it. But these absentee landlords, these owners, yes, we all know what they're guilty of, but the lack of oversight and making sure United adhered to football principles, making sure United were prioritising football success over commercial success, making sure they had guiding principles that prevented these types of things from happening. Um, that's, this can never be allowed to happen again. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, incompetence. I mean, we talk about City's 115 charges, rightly so. But let's have it right. They financially dope to do what? So that they could put themselves on a level footing with the world's top football clubs financially. I mean, there's very little that City have done financially that would have been beyond the reach of Manchester United. I'm not exonerating them. But the fact of the matter is, the reason why United are in the mess they're in has more to do with the rank and competence that invested the football club than it has to do with City's 115 charges. Chelsea, of course, have been found uh, are under investigation allegedly for financial irregularities. In many ways, that's the biggest compliment to Ferguson that to end his his dynasty. Football clubs are the financially dope. Um, that being said, we need to own our own shit. United are in the mess they're in because of their own rank and competence. It never should have been allowed to happen. It looks like, for the first time since Ferguson left, there is proper oversight where this isn't going to be allowed to happen anymore. Thank God. Um, and, and, and Ten Hag doesn't strike me as the type of guy that would allow that to happen. So it looks like there's some symmetry between the financial side and the football side. Uh, and how they go about executing major decisions. Um, and that is obviously a great relief. Um, some other stuff I want to talk about, of course, is the Harry Maguire thing. Harry Maguire looks like he will be going to West Ham. My view on that was very simple. Was There's a, an arbitrary threshold between criticism and abuse. There comes a point where you beat a dead horse or you constantly say the same thing and there's really nothing of value to add anymore by constantly criticizing someone. Harry Maguire was typecast, um, unable to emerge from the caricature that was built up around him. Um, you know, the the perception and, and 
sometimes accurate perception that he wasn't good enough for the football club. Um, that was a massive shadow to emerge from. This happens to players. It happened to Marwan Fellaini. You know, he was unable to emerge from the calamitous David Moyes era and be appreciated for what he was. I mean, I can tell you this, Van Hal, Mourinho, other managers absolutely loved Fellaini. Um, but he uh, found it really difficult to emerge from that. I see him with Phil Jones. And other players just have these very rigid um, identities that are very difficult to emerge from. With Maguire, my view was, if he was going to turn down a move to West Ham because of how much money he was making at Manchester United, it would cause me to lose just a tiny, tiny modicum of sympathy for him when it comes to tolerating some of the toxicity that's, that obviously surrounds the commentary with Maguire. Um, because if you're going to say, I'm going to prolong this because I don't want to sacrifice me, my wage packet, it's very difficult to have, you know, to, 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 to sympathize with that and say, well, what's your mental health worth? I'm not saying this should happen. It clearly shouldn't. I'm not saying that um, any of it's justifiable. It isn't. But it's not like he would be going to West Ham and making buttons. He'd be making major money. If he manages his money right, he'd be financially set for the rest of his life. What's his inner peace worth? What's that worth to his family? What's the inner peace of his family worth? Because it must be awful for them. You know, and it's very entirely plausible that McGuire could go to West Ham and revitalize himself. Uh, I don't see that ever happening at Manchester United, so it's entirely appropriate, in my opinion, that he leaves and moves on. Um, that shadow just casts, you know, uh, it's just it's it, it's so big at the moment that um, it's very difficult to emerge from that. So I'm, I think it's the right thing for him to do. Scott McTominay's different thing altogether. Um, Scott McTominay, of course, has value to me. He's in the prime of his career. He's a very very good midfielder. Um, you know, you look at West Ham. You know, saying the city they need to spit, they want they want more than sixty million for Paqueta. You know, they were very firm on their demands over Declan Rice. I think they're selling Skimaka too if they haven't already. And they're well within the rates of demand to have fees for them, but so are United for Scott McTominay. And uh, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if McTominay stayed, in my opinion. Um, I'm sort of in between on him. I think he's not good enough to start every week for United, but he's too good to sit on the bench. So if there's a 40 million fee on the table for him, I would take it. But I wouldn't take a 30 million. I think that some of what United need to address, and they've gone, there's two things they needed to address this summer the fact that they buy badly and the fact that they sell badly. They've gone some way to addressing the fact that they buy badly, they overpay, they get, they, they get hosed. I know people are going to point to the Hoyland thing and everything else, but for the most part, they've been quite savvy in how they've bought. Well, they also need to address the perception that they sell badly. And um, and that is, that's a, that's a well-earned reputation, to be fair. They have to be better at how they sell. So I think it's important about setting precedent here and saying, you're not going to come here and pick off our players on the cheap. So... Um, Scott McTominay is easily a £40 million midfielder, in my opinion. So United should stand firm. The other ones, of course, found a big, highly probable that he leaves. I mean, I think for United, 
um, there comes a time when you have to accept it's not going to work out. I, mean, I started earlier in this podcast talking about Mabry, um, Cubby Mania and what have you taken a chance in preseason when it came. Well, Van der Beek's had three years of a chance and last season was under the manager that made him and it still hasn't worked and I really wanted it to work because I rated him highly as a footballer. Well, I think he's suited to a slower tempo and I think he'll do well in Spain. It might make sense to loan him out and then look to sell him again at the end of the season because if he has a decent season in Spain, he'll be worth a lot more than what he's worth right now. I mean, the fee for him right now is going to be so low that it probably is something you could extend to the end of the season because I doubt it will decrease um, from what they're being offered right now. Um, of course, Fred as well, similar situation to Maguire in the sense that he has to leave to play regular football just there in the Brazil team. I've uh, been a good servant for United, but again, a player that I believe does a good job, but United need more than someone that does a good job. You need someone that... Um, changes games for them not necessarily always by scoring goals or creating but someone that maintains the levels whenever Casemiro has to come off or you need to make changes in midfield or is capable of playing in a in, in a in a ten hog system so Fred you know again if this was a couple of years ago he'd probably be getting a new contract right now which is just insane so Definitely the right thing to do to move him on, in my opinion. Um, and uh, obviously the other big decision that has to be made this week, whether it will or not, remains to be seen as Mason Greenwood. Now, I've talked about this before on this podcast, and it's something that I've resisted tweeting about for the last three or four or five months because it's impossible to get reasoned discussion on it. Uh, where you stand on an issue all depends on where you're sitting and lots of people will have been affected by domestic violence in different ways some won't and it'll mean different things to different people um i think at this point it would be more of a shock if united didn't bring him back than if they did i think a major telltale sign was the adidas statement when they claimed they weren't consulted on whether he was coming back or not because if united were going to sack mason greenwood I believe me, Adidas wouldn't have said a thing. They would have been happy for people to make the assumption that they were part of the reason why he got sacked. But if they want to bring him back, I don't think Adidas want the perception that they consented to that. So they, and they issued a preemptive statement to say, hey, we weren't asked. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I don't think, I think that's a major telltale sign. You know, you speak to people inside the club, and to be honest, it's split. Some people say he deserves a second chance. He's matured. He's you know he's, he's shown genuine contrition. You know everything's not as it seems. I I don't know. Um, you know there's people say there's other sides of the story that haven't been told. I don't know. And then there's others that feel that what he did, what they think he did. You know I don't think they have all the details either. You know is is enough to sack him. I don't know. Um, so uh, I think United shouldn't have teased this announcement I think United just should have made a decision on it and accepted that there is no good time to make a decision on this there is no time to bury this right before the Premier League games where people quickly change their focus onto their own teams 
So I don't envy them. It's not an easy decision to make. Um, because they're going to get criticism no matter what. And for some of you, it might be an easy decision because you're going to feel strongly about this, and that's entirely up to you. Um, but uh, like I said, where you stand on this issue all depends on where you're sitting. So um, I think uh, United should have been able to prepare for the first game of the season without having this in the background. Um, be interesting to see if they actually make an announcement before Friday or on Friday. Um, you know, like I said, it's Wednesday afternoon here. It'll be Wednesday night where you are, so that's going to be either tomorrow or Friday, where one of the biggest stories of the season is going to drop. It's not a signing, and it's not a uh, sacking or a result or whatever. It's it's obviously a massive decision, but I think my guess is you needed to going to bring him back. Um, no one's been told that for certain. Um, but that is what I think based on the information that I have. Um, but we will see. Another thing that made the headlines, of course, was Rasmus Hoyland's alleged injury. Um, this is something that had have happened two or three years ago. I would have been extremely concerned because it would have been entirely consistent with United's ineptitude. I don't see this being something that caught them by surprise or that got overlooked. That was something that says, you know, I mean, United on a £72 million deal with add-ons, of course, are not going to take a risk on a kid to replace a, the, the, a kid coming in to replace a striker that's injury-prone with another one that's injury-prone. They're just not going to do it. You know, the medical medicals and the tests and all exist for insurance reasons, so it'll be independent doctors and what have you signing off on this. Um... So you'd need a lot of incompetence for that to actually, and a lot of aligned incompetence for that to actually take place. I don't think, I mean, from what I'm told, it's just something he needs to rest. <clears throat> and he'll be back in the team in a couple of weeks. It's frustrating because you want to see him play, of course. I wanted to see him play at the weekend. Against the Wolves, it, um, Julian Lopetegui left, uh, which seemed to be a fair reason. Um, Lopetegui not getting any new signings. They've lost a number of players. Wolves seem to be someone that um, will struggle. I do think no matter what happens, whether it's Gary O'Neill or not, United will beat them. Um, they have to beat them. And um, for Ten Hag, considering the money that he spent, it is, we should expect improvement this season. And um, first season for me, I think he's done an exceptional job. He's made the right decision with every major call that he's made. I love him as a manager. I think he's not just done exceptionally well with the team, but the club, the standards that he's introduced across all different sections, segments of the football club, the business side. You know, he won arguments on the business side about how many commercial um, and sponsorship events the players would attend. Um, Mourinho lost that fight. Mourinho only wanted to go to one coast. He lost it. Ten Hag's the first one winning those battles inside the football club. Um, he's completely realigned the football club. <clears throat> you know, there's been massive overhaul of the academy, um, staff at the academy. There's been a lot of things that um, you haven't seen that he's done exceptionally well. Introduced new habits, um, you know, a 
whole new atmosphere and professionalism and United are being held to a whole different standard as our players and, and, and that's evident. So um, I think he's done a, a, up to this point a nine and a half out of ten job. Next season is going to be a really difficult season because uh, the honeymoon season is now over and assuming he brings in two or three, let's say he brings in two more players, that'll be five players this season. That'll be nine players he's bought. Um, not including Sabitzer, of course, and Berghorst. Since he's come, he was at five. Yeah, so from nine to ten, depends on how many he gets. Um, I think United fans are entitled to expect that team never repeats what happened at Anfield last season. Never repeats what happened at City next season. If they're going to lose those games, they lose them competitively. There is no more of those embarrassing, humiliating defeats. Because there's too many reasons why that can't happen. I can understand when you've got three, four players, or maybe six, seven players on your team that belong to different eras and different managers and they're not your players. But when you're sitting with a team of players that are seven, eight of the players that you've signed, that, that team should reflect their manager. And there should not be any mental collapse or anything like that. It should never happen again. They'll need to improve, in my opinion, on their points total next season. They'll need to improve on the goal, goal return next season and a major trophy. So I don't think if United finish third in the Carabao Cup, that would be defined as success. I think quarterfinals of the Champions League, as a minimum, is reasonable. I mean, if Inter Milan and AC Milan can get to the Champions League semi-final, the draw is kind, of course, then it's not unreasonable to expect that United get to at least the quarterfinals. I think that should happen. Um, obviously, there's some unforeseen variables. If you get injuries and what have you, you don't expect. Then you have to, then you have to reconsider your expectations. But um, yeah, I think um, at least the quarterfinals in the Champions League, and United should be in the title race. Arsenal were eight points clear of City, but in April, and nobody saw that coming. Nobody thought Arsenal would be sitting close to the top of the league in April, or top of the league in April. I doubt even Arteta thought that. And the thing is, when you're going up against teams like City, the demise is really, really um, minuscule. Usually, like if you look at United under Ferguson, the, the contrast between Ferguson and Moyes, it's usually a collapse somewhere. So who knows what City will do next season? Um, I think Gundogan is a big loss for them. Uh, they're obviously start the season's favourite. They've got the best striker in the world. They're, they're going to be up there thereabouts. But if Ten Hag isn't looking at that table saying, I expect us to be in a title race by April, even if you don't win it, but be there or thereabouts, that shows this team's really close. So that next season, you're talking about one or two additions. Maybe a hurricane, who knows? Um, then I would be very disappointed. And I think that's a reasonable expectation of Ten Hag. We shall see. Lastly, folks, before I go, I want to say a huge thank you to each and every one of you who donated to my appeal for mental health. 100% um, of our proceeds go towards services. Uh, it's, a, it's a non-profit. Um, no one's taking any money out of it. So every penny you donate goes towards life-saving services. You know my own story. I'm not going to bore you out with it. But this is obviously something that means an awful lot to me. There'll be people listening to this struggling with mental health that will need these services, um, whether 
you're in Belfast or Birmingham or London, Manchester or anywhere around the world, whether you're in the US, Australia, it doesn't matter. People are struggling and they need help. And uh, if you're in a position to be able to give that help, please know how important that is. It makes such an enormous difference. So thank you to each and every one of you who donated, retweeted the message, because that's all I can ask for. Uh, take it easy, folks. Uh, but the next time I record, we'll know if United won the first game and most likely the outcome of the Mason Greenwood situation. Take it easy, folks. I'll be back on Monday or Tuesday.